Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. This is True News, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today is Tuesday, February 6, 2024. Angry, frustrated farmers in Germany, Poland, the Netherlands, and Spain are refusing to call off their massive protest in European cities. Meanwhile, EU bureaucrats and politicians have blinked in the standoff with the farmers. We'll give you more details in a few minutes. First, let's examine a recent threat by a Ukrainian admiral to blow up Russia's Crimean bridge this year. The headline, uh, published by RT.com, Ukraine promises to destroy Europe's longest bridge this year, 2024. So, Doc, let's let's look into this, see what is Ukraine vowing they're going to do. Yeah, and a story that we've been following for quite a while, and now it's back in the headlines once again. The Crimean Bridge connecting the Russian peninsula of Crimea to the Krasnodar region will be destroyed in 2024. That's coming from the commander of the Ukrainian Navy, Vice Admiral Alexei Nikspapa, and he's claimed that. On Monday, Nikspapa gave a lengthy interview to Alexander Gordon, a Ukrainian journalist who is wanted by Moscow on accusations of spreading false information about the Russian military and of inciting terrorist activities. Now, during that conversation, Gordon wondered if it would be fair to describe the 19-kilometer-long bridge as potentially dead. The Navy chief agreed with that characterization, insisting that he knew how to destroy this key piece of infrastructure. When asked about when exactly the longest bridge in Europe would go down, his papa replied by saying, I think we won't have to wait long, at least this year, for sure. Well, Doc, when I read this article this morning, the very first thing that popped in my mind was Victoria Oink Oink Newland in Kiev a week or two ago, grinning, standing out in the street doing a press conference, grinning and saying sadistically, Ukraine's going to have some surprises for Putin on the battlefield this year. And so you and I wondered, what does she know? What has the United States and NATO given the Ukrainian military that is going to be a military surprise to the Russians this year, 2024? Let's replay that video. Here she is, Oink Oink Newland, uh, doing her best to make sure we have an all-out nuclear war with Russia. Let's watch. I have to say that I leave Kiev tonight uh, more encouraged about the unity and the resolve 
uh, about 2024 and its absolute strategic importance for Ukraine. Uh, I also leave more confident that uh, even as Ukraine strengthens its defenses, uh, Mr. Putin's going to get some nice surprises on the battlefield and that Ukraine will make some very strong success this year. So we'll see later this year what this wicked woman has in mind. But it won't be good for the world because they're pushing they're pushing the Russian bear farther back in the corner, jabbing the bear and daring the bear to strike out, not just at Ukraine, but at the West. Yes. And we're all going to pay a dear price for bloodthirsty Zionist warmongers like Victoria Nuland. You know, and what's the end game here, Rick, for the West? They want to see the destruction of Russia. Yes. But much of the world's going to be destroyed. So those of us who survive, and we don't know if any of us right now participating in this news program, we don't know if any of us will survive. Just say, when World War III is over and... The world is smoldering and the nuclear radiation covers the planet and there's a nuclear winter and maybe a billion people have died. The other six billion people still alive are going to despise Zionism. They're going to despise the warmongers that brought such calamity upon the world. I'm telling you right now, I don't know if I'm going to survive it. I don't know. I have no idea, Doc. I don't know if you're going to survive it. I'm living every day to be right with the Lord. I don't know. I don't have a promise if I'm going to survive it. It's not this far I have to survive. It's the eternal far. That's right. That's the one I'm concerned about. This far that's coming may take out a lot of Christians. I don't know. I talked to I talked to a street preacher several weeks ago. We brought him over here to uh, my office. And he's been he's been here in Vero Beach for several years. He's not from Vero, but he's he kind of stranded here. The Lord has him stranded because of his vehicle. Uh, he's got a lot of children, and uh, they they need they need uh, a miracle. We're probably going to do that miracle for him, just like we did for Mary in Zanesville, Ohio. Probably going to do it by faith. But I had him brought over to the office. I wanted to have a conversation with him. And uh, delightful family, wonderful wife. Four or five very polite, well-behaved children. A nice family. Um, he was, I think, a computer, I want to say a programmer. He was in business up until about two years ago. God called him to preach. This man standing out on the street corners at Vero Beach holding a sign saying, Repent, Jesus is coming. 
And he's been here, like I said, for about two years. That's all he does. Yes. He just stands on the street corner with a sign saying, repent, Jesus Christ is coming. Yeah, it's been a little over two years. Yes. And he preaches. He preaches on the street. Police have not bothered him. They allow him to preach. But I wanted to hear what he had to say. To my surprise, when I asked him to tell me his testimony, he told me how the Holy Spirit came upon him about two years ago and told him to warn America. And he looked at me, and he, now he's, he's much younger than me, obviously. He's got little children. He looked at me, and he said, Mr. Wells, have you ever heard of a man named Dimitri Dudeman? <laughs> I said, yeah, I have. What do you know about him? He goes, I, he goes, I just discovered his writings. I had no idea that another person also knew that America was going to burn. This street preacher thinks he's the only guy who knows about this, Doc. Mm. And I can understand it. Because when that, when that fire comes on you, that Holy Ghost fire, you think this is a divine revelation that has not been given to anybody else. Right. And all you need to do, all you want to do, what you must do, is tell everybody. And that's what he's doing. He's out on the street doing what he can do. He's trying to tell people. But I, I told him, I said, yes, I've, I've, I know about Dimitri Dudeman. He didn't even know who I was. Doc, he had no idea what we do. We brought him over here to my office, sat for about two hours talking. He had no idea who we are. Didn't know me, didn't know our history, didn't know our message. He just thought I was a local minister that had an interest in his street ministry. And so I just sat there quietly and let him talk. And he told me what the Lord showed him, what the Lord told him was coming to America and why he had to tell the people to repent that Christ is coming. And one thing that he said, uh, again, this is, this is what this man is saying. Because I, I, I've not heard this from the Lord. Uh, but this is what he said the Holy Spirit told him. That a lot of, he said, the Lord told him, the righteous in America are going to burn with the wicked. Yes. They are. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to accept, but it's going to happen. But mm-hmm. the evangelical church, they're, they're no, convinced. They they're going to be raptured. Yeah. yeah. The lifeboat theology. Yes. Well, they, don't, they actually, they teach that America is exempted from, yes. from the fires. Because we bless We stand with Israel. Yeah. Israel won't burn and America won't burn. I've heard preachers preach that kind of stuff. Yes. But this street preacher said, the Holy Spirit said, tell the people the righteous are going to burn with the wicked in America. And that resonates with my spirit because in the early days, I used to tell people, the Lord will protect us. And then there there came a time that I stopped saying it because I realized there was no guarantee. There was no guarantee. How can a nuclear warhead explode over a city and only the wicked are destroyed that's just not realistic it takes out everybody Uh, let's look at Gaza a lot of Christians in those buildings that Israel 
hit with American-made missiles. A lot of Christians in those buildings. They died. They died. Some God, directly targeted by the idea. And some of them were shot in the head while they hid in churches. How do you explain that God did not protect them? How do you explain it? Their souls were protected, not their bodies. I know I can't sell books on this sermon. <laughs> Nobody's going to write and say, hey, Rick, send me this message on... The righteous will die. The righteous will die with the wicked. Nobody's going to ask for this book. It's your soul that has to be protected. Your soul needs to be fireproof. Your soul needs to be enclosed in an asbestos suit. If not, your soul's in trouble. Your body may burn up. Because we're seeing Christians die in Syria, in Sudan, in Nigeria. We're seeing Christians die. So there's no guarantee the American Christians won't burn up when Victoria Nuland gets what she's trying to do, which is an all-out war with Russia. Because she's going to take her fat snoot She's got some hidey hole that she's going to go in. She thinks she's going to make it. She's going to survive. Maybe she will. Doesn't matter if her body survives. But the survivors of this war, when they see her and the other warmongers, Mm. there's no hidey hole deep enough to get away from the anger of the people. Because you have no idea. You have no, none of us, none of us know the depth and the breadth and the width of the destruction that's coming because of these maniacs that want war with Russia. So you've got a Ukrainian admiral today saying the Crimean bridge is coming down this year. It's already dead. In our minds, it's already dead. It's a dead bridge. And what does that mean for the Russians, Rick? Several things. Uh, The bridge connects the mainland Russia uh, with the Crimea Peninsula. Right. It's it's the way to cross over. It's highway and railroad. Um, It cuts off Russia from getting troops to Crimea getting food to the people in Crimea. They've been severed. Crimea has been severed from Russia. Uh, financially, it's a major loss. They spent billions of dollars building that bridge. Politically, um, public relations-wise, it's a, it's a devastating defeat. Their pride and joy, the Crimean Bridge, is you know it's going to go into the sea, and you're going to have people like Victoria Newland dancing on. She's going to dance. She won't be able to cont- contain her her glee. Doc, they'll have parties the day that bridge goes down. I'm telling you, they'll have parties in Washington and Brussels and London and Paris. They will party. 
they'll be overjoyed with the destruction that they've done. That single act may be the thing that pushes Vladimir Putin over the edge. Where he says, well, I'll tell you what, the London Bridge bridge is coming down. Um, The San Francisco Bridge is coming down. The Baltimore-Chesapeake Bay Bridge is coming down. Uh, The Eiffel Tower is coming down. Uh, Brandenburg Gate's coming down. I mean, he may just have his hit list, too. And says, you want to do this to us? All right, then here it comes. That act may be the blow that pushes him to respond. And when he does, it's going to be lights out for the West. And the Russians are admitting it may be lights out for Russia, too. Yes. They're telling their people, we may have to die because we're fighting Antichrist. They believe that Russia is the force that's restraining the Antichrist from coming upon the earth. And that when Russia is removed, the restrainer is removed. They don't interpret Bible prophecy like Hal Lindsey and David Jeremiah and, and all these guys over here. They see it differently. They see Russia as the entity that is holding back Antichrist, and they believe right. America is Antichrist, and that when Russia is taken out of the way, Antichrist spreads across the world, and then Christ comes back. So they're saying, we're willing to die, because to die is gain. To them, they're saying to, to die is gain, because we're going, to, we're going to go up in fire, but our souls are going to go up to the Lord. And we'll be rewarded because we we, will be rewarded because we fought against the enemy. Yes, that's how they see it. So we've got two things. We've got Victoria Oink Oink Newland boasting that Putin is going to be given surprises on the battlefield this year, and we have a. Ukrainian admiral saying the bridge is coming down this year. He said, I think we won't have to wait long. At least this year for sure. He described the bridge as potentially dead. Said he knew how to destroy the bridge. Well, he's got a friend in uh, London. London that knows how to do it, too. Yes. A former commander of NATO. They want that bridge to come down. And the U.S., Great Britain, NATO, they're going to give Ukraine the firepower to do it. For Russia, would, would taking out the Crimean Bridge be equivalent to a Pearl Harbor event yes. for them? Yes, it will be the Pearl Harbor. You got it, Doc. That's exactly how they will see it. It'll be a shock. It'll be stunning. They've hit the bridge several times, but the bridge never went down. The Russians repaired the damage, and the bridge is still open. The West is planning something that will bring down the bridge. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Are we are we going to have commandos putting C4? under the pillars of the bridge in the water 
They got to do something. The pillars got to come down. Right. Not just one. Several pillars have got to come down. The bridge has to collapse. In their mind, they have to. They can't just damage a lane that can be repaved and open again. The pillars have to come down. Right. They want the video images. They want the world to see the great and glorious Crimean bridge in the sea. They want the world to see it. That's a, that's a devastating uh, propaganda victory for for Russia. I mean, not for. <laughs> it's for a propaganda the, for victory for the West. It's but it's a devastating. Devastating propaganda defeat for Russia. But you've got Victoria Nuland saying it's coming this year. She wouldn't say what. She just said surprises. Now, she was there in Kiev. She delivered something, Doug. She delivered the news of something. Did she meet with the admiral? Did she say, we'll take care of this for you? We can blow up pipelines. We know how to blow up a bridge. The old bag bragged about the pipeline. Yes, before it happened. Before it happened. That bloodthirsty. Too. Hmm? She smiled about it too. She did, and she's smiling again. Yeah, she was in this video. I'm telling you, when this war is over, people are done with Zionism. Zionists will have one of two options after the war. They've either they got to go away quickly before the people get their hands on them, or they got to make a move and take over the world. Because people are going to be shocked when they realize World War III was a Zionist production. Right. And a billion innocent people died. Because of Zionists. Not going to be pretty. Uh, If they are the the beast system, then they're going to take over the world. Well, let's talk about our fearless commander-in-chief, Joe Biden. Um, He was caught in another embarrassing gaffe when he claimed that he spoke with Former French President Francois Mitterrand. The problem is, Mr. Mitterrand died in 1996. (laughs) But old Joe, he talked to him. Maybe he had a uh, seance. Maybe he connected with Mitterrand's spirit and had that conversation. Um, He made this uh, speech while talking to union workers in Las Vegas the days the... uh, Nevada primary, and um, he also struggled to uh, to differentiate the difference between Germany and France in one of his uh, typically garbled sentences. I mean, it's, it's, you got to listen to try to figure out what Joe's saying because he's, he he's running his words together; they're all garbled and yes. intermingled, and you know, it's like, what are you talking about, Joe? Okay. Here he is. He's talking. Here he is talking about his conversation with the dead president of France. People have pled guilty. You know, I, right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting. All the NATO leaders. And it was in it was in the south of England. 
And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, what, why, how, how long are you back for? What, what did Mitterrand say? How, how long are you back? Yes. How long are you back for? I tell you. Uh, the man lives in his own world. He does. Put him in a rocking chair, put a blanket over him. Uh, give him a teddy bear and um, maybe a snow cone. How can you continue to watch this? Uh, really, it's sad. It's elder abuse is what it is. Of course it is. But, Doc, the ruling class, they kill children. Do you think they care about abusing an old man? They don't care, Doc. They don't care. Half of the United States population now knows what these people are. Do you think they care? They don't care. You know why? They're in control. We were overthrown. And if you don't think America was overthrown, why don't you try doing something about it? All these things that upset you, why can't you, why can't you do anything about it? Why can't you do anything about the border? Why can't you do anything about the pedophile networks? Why can't you do anything about the transvestites in the schools? Why can't you do anything about any of these things? Because you don't have any power anymore to do it. The American people were overthrown. It wouldn't matter if 90% of the people were united on these issues. It doesn't matter. They have no power. They have no power. We were overthrown. They captured our minds, Doc. That's all. They captured minds. It's like the Chinese Communist Party. How do they, how do they control 1.2 billion people when there's only a couple million Chinese communists? Yeah, I don't know what the number is, but maybe 10 million out of, out of 1.2 billion? How do they do it? Well, like a bridle on a horse, a rudder on a ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't take much to control a large population. You just, all you have to do is get your hands on the media and education and entertainment and law enforcement and the military and the courts. That's all you have to do. And you can control the nation. And that's what the ruling class has done in America. They seize control of the major instruments of influence. And they don't care what everybody else thinks. They don't care. They used to hide it. They used to pretend. They used to say, there is no shadow government. Now they go, yeah, there's a shadow government. What are you going to do? But we're not even in the shadow anymore. We came out and you can see us. We're not in the shadow anymore. What are you going to do about it? Well, people tried something on January 6th. Well, we'll put you in prison. What's next? Come on. Do something else. Joe Biden said, hey, we've got F-16s and nukes. The man who's talking to dead people. Prince yeah, the president. man that talks to dead people. Okay. Um, Dmitry Medvedev, I, 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 I read this this morning, and I actually didn't know about Biden saying this in Las Vegas, so I read Medvedev's post this morning. I'm sorry, i got to find out what Medvedev is talking about. So this is what Medvedev posted. 
Now, in this post, you talked about uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and President Biden combined in this. He says a few weeks ago, the world was watching practically in real time a brilliant special services operation in the U.S. territory. The operation started in the Pentagon, then continued in a hospital. Unexpectedly for all, including his elderly boss, the U.S. Minister of Defense suddenly fell off the map. The former probably wouldn't have noticed at all unless the public had been alarmed. Like, where is our commander? And so speculations followed. The main nuclear briefcase containing the Minuteman and Tomahawk missile codes, where was it? In the surgery room with the minister or went somewhere on its own? Being a U.S. defense minister looks fun. It's all up to you. You disappear from radar and you go back again if you wish. Getting well is good enough. And the nuclear codes are kind of or aren't they once again in safe hands. Everything is under control according to the rules and doctrines. All they had to say in the White House well, was, well, there was some problem that we hadn't been contacted. As for the rest, it is a very difficult problem. That's not what it said. Yes, it says something else there. And it so, was a different, it was one word, and it wasn't a very difficult problem. But anyhow, right. we can't so, say it. So uh, it's just that the world is a little scared. What was happening to the briefcase while his owner was ill? Whose hands has it been to? Who has learned the American missile launch codes? What if Iranians or worse, Russians might have rewired everything in there and prepared the U.S. nuclear arsenal for self-destruction? It looked like there would be no answer. Then he talks about the president here. Yet today it has appeared, and the hell of an answer it was. That's what the whole thing was about. Biden has received an ominous signal from the netherworld. The main owner of the codes, it turns out, is in direct contact with the deceased President Mitterrand, who, by the way, was also the briefcase keeper. The U.S. president has spoken of the talk himself, mistaking the land of Froggies, France, for the land of liver sausage, Germany, along the way. The world is indeed in danger. Now, you saw this first before you knew about yes. the uh, yes. uh, the video of President Biden, right? Yeah, I read this about 4.30 this morning. I'm like, it, I had what no is he idea <laughs> what he's talking about. But I'm going to find out as soon as I get a shower and get to work here, you know. So um, let's put the second screen uh, back up on the, um, the second still. Put it back up on the screen. So... He refers to the uh, nuclear suitcase, not the suitcase, uh, the, 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 the football, what we call the football, but the nuclear codes. Right. Okay. Uh, he calls it a briefcase. Um, Doc, the way I'm reading this, he's implying that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin had lost control of the nuclear football, the code, uh, briefcase, whatever you want to call it. Um, but my understanding is that the Secretary of Defense is not necessary in the chain of command to launch a nuclear attack. Now, that's, that's my basic understanding. It would, you would think that the Secretary of Defense would be absolute mandatory vital person in the chain of command. But my understanding is the president directly authorizes the launch of nuclear missiles. But Mr. Medvedev, for some reason, is implying that while Lloyd Austin was mysteriously missing in a hospital and that even the White House didn't know he was gone, right? that maybe the, maybe the nuclear codes disappeared. But then look at this. To me, this is a cryptic statement. 
What if Iranians, or worse, Russians, might have rewired everything in there and prepared the U.S. nuclear arsenal for self-destruction? What does that mean? Well, if, he, if the Secretary of Defense, if he has uh, his version of the nuclear suitcase, because mm-hmm. what happens if the president is, in, yes. is incapacitated? You'd want someone else to have a nuclear suitcase, right? So, the, well, what is, What's the chain of command? Is it Kamala Harris? Who has it? Would you give Kamala Harris an ordinary suitcase? <laughs> I mean. No. But what is the chain of command? Does, does it autom- That's a good question. If the commander-in-chief, the president, is out, I mean, really out, for all we know, you know, Joe Biden could be incoherent. Right. And there's a nuclear attack. And they can't, oh. they can't arouse Joe Biden to make a coherent statement. Who is authorized to fire the missiles? So what Mr. Medvedev said, this is the way I'm reading it. Maybe I'm wrong on this. He's saying, well, while uh, your secretary of defense was missing, maybe the launch codes went missing, too. Right. Maybe we Russians got our hands on them and rewired them for your nuclear arsenal self-destruction. I just had a thought about this, Rick, that, you know, Medvedev was president of Russia at one time. Yes. He knows how the nuclear yes. chain of command operates he, here in the U.S. He's also currently the vice chairman of the Russian Security Council. So it wouldn't be a mistake in his mind that the defense secretary had the nuclear launch codes. It wouldn't be, a, a, you know, just an accident that yes. he said right. that. Mm-hmm. So I think of two possibilities. Either there is a second set of launch codes or... Mm-hmm. And this is a more radical one. What if the launch codes have been taken away from President Joe Biden right now because he couldn't be trusted with them? He, he's an 80-year-old man that is talking to dead French presidents. Okay. Think about um, in the last days of President Trump's administration in January. Remember Nancy Pelosi making cryptic remarks regarding a conversation with Mark Milley regarding the nuclear codes? Yes. Did they take the nuclear codes from Trump? It's a good question. So, were they transferred to the Secretary of Defense? Who is next in the chain of command? And he says, if we put that second still up here in that last paragraph, yet today it has appeared. He's saying this... That the nuclear codes reappeared. Well, that today the answer. Oh, the, the answer. It looked like there'd be no answer, and yet today it has appeared. And a hell of an answer it was. That's what the whole thing was. They've taken the launch codes away from Biden. You know, Doc, I think you're onto this. Medvedev is saying today the, it appeared that there would be no answer, yet today we have the answer. Biden received an ominous signal from the netherworld. The main owner of the codes, it turns out, is in direct contact with the deceased French president. Um, Whether it's true or not, the Russians suspect that it's true. 
they're not sure who has the nuclear codes. But there's also this hint that they got their hands on them and rewired it. He said, for the self-destruction of the American nuclear arsenal. That sounds to me like, hey, when the button is pushed to launch the missiles, they blow up in the silos. Whose dream? Who? Whose dream? Henry Gruber. Yes. He said, Henry Gruber had that dream. I, I knew Henry. Passed away some years ago. He had that dream back in, I would say, the 80s. Yes. Had it in the 80s. I, I heard it in the 90s. Yes. So. He had it in the 80s, but he said that when the nuclear war started with Russia, he saw, and I think it was uh, NORAD, it was uh, Cheyenne, you know. Maybe Cheyenne Mountain. Mountain. Yes. In, in Colorado, that when they, when they pushed the buttons to launch America's nuclear weapons, nothing happened. Nothing happened. The missiles did not launch. Well, folks, don't let me mess up your lunch today. <laughs> I just work here. I do what the Lord, I'm just doing what I'm called to do. Um, Tucker Carlson apparently has interviewed Vladimir Putin. Congratulations, Tucker. You know, uh, you know, late last year, we were invited to a Russian event and uh, in Moscow, and uh, we seriously considered going. And then we made a decision at the last minute not to go when we found out that the, the sponsoring organization had U.S. sanctions on them, which would mean that we were participating in an event sponsored by a group that was under U.S. government sanctions. Right. And... My attorney t told me, he said, Rick, it's possible that when you come back to the United States, they may just take your passport from you and put you under sanctions. I said, you know what? I'm not going. It's not worth it to me. That's uh, not worth it to me. And I, I contacted the group in Russia and said, sorry, uh, we're not going to be there. But I, I did ask, uh, what, what is the likelihood that we could get a brief interview with Vladimir Putin? And the answer was, Rick, you're not Tucker Carlson. That was the absolute answer. Yes. She said to me, Rick, you're not Tucker Carlson. The only American who's going to get an interview with, with Putin is Tucker Carlson. That's what she said to me in a text. I thought it was funny. So anyhow, Tucker is in Moscow. Apparently he has, he has interviewed Putin, and um, let's let's we'll wait and see when the video is released. It's it, uh, you know it'll be on X. Yes, and it'll probably get about five a billion views. Yeah, this a one. billion views. But congratulations for Tucker Carlson. Um, you probably heard the news that King Charles has cancer. Uh, they have not told the world what type of cancer, but look at this headline, Doc. Yeah, this is the, this is in star. London. What happens when the king dies? They're already preparing for his funeral. Can you imagine how the king feels? I mean, picks up the morning paper. What do you mean when I die? 
Well, he probably knows how serious it is. And probably the word has gotten out to the news media in London. He's not going to make it. That's my guess. For them to publish a headline like that? Yeah, it shocked me when I saw it that they had the the gumption to do that. Uh, But that just gives you a clue. There's probably more to the story than we know. He went in for a prostate uh, procedure. Uh, uh, They had found a benign uh, uh, tumor before, but then they pointed out it was not prostate cancer. They made a big deal about that. And I thought, well, so... There, there's only probably colon, right? Yeah. Um, so anyhow, we we uh, wish him well. Uh, don't want to see anybody suffer, and hope he recovers. But the the British papers are already preparing for his funeral, and uh, the coronation of his son William. Let's talk about the farmers in Europe. Uh, I've got a number of videos because uh, the farmers have not backed down. Uh, this is uh, Spain. Yes, so Spain has joined in this and that and that growing protest all across Europe by the farmers, and so you're seeing images out of Spain here. You see today. what's going on here, Doc? The police put up a roadblock. Do the police not understand that tractors have the ability to go through rough terrain? Apparently, their their little squad cars have never done that. They've never gone off the paved road. You put up a roadblock to a farmer in a tractor? You go around the roadblock. So these are images coming out of Spain right now. And as you can see, it's just as enthusiastic in Spain as it's been in other countries, in France and Germany and the Netherlands and Poland as well. And so uh, these are images from all across Spain as they've joined in on this, shutting down this is uh, the highways. Dutch. So now this is the Dutch, and there's a few. Uh, uh, there's a Spanish video in here too. This is uh, from Spain here, I believe. Oh, is it? Uh, so, oh, yes. Uh, so, and uh, but the uh, protests continue, and they have not backed down on this at all. Even though uh, some uh, of the elite have mentioned some words and tried to, uh, you know, uh, say nice things about the farmers and everything and how essential they are, the farmers aren't buying it. Uh, so hey, they had some excess manure. Yes. So let's just drop it off at City Hall here. And so uh, you got to hand it to these guys. They they create they're creative. They use everything on the farm. They've used sheep, manure, tires, trash, every piece of equipment they can get their hands on uh, in this protest. And so there's the manure sprayer. This is I've my got favorite a part. One. I've got a patent one. <laughs> so. This is my favorite part. I love it when they get the manure <laughs> sp- spreader out and um, express their views. That's, that's all they're doing. They're expressing their inner feelings towards the globalists. And um, uh, here's another scene. I'm, I'm not sure they're which country this is. Just yeah, this is in the Netherlands again, blocking the roads. And so uh, at some point, there's going to be a clash of ideologies here real soon. And you're beginning to see some uh, within the European Parliament itself factions being created right now that's right and we've got a couple videos that have come out of uh the european parliament this first one is a member of the european parliament from the netherlands uh rob ruse and he calls out the european uh, parliament for intentionally trying to ruin and bankrupt the farmers because that's exactly what they're trying to do they want the farmers to go out of business 
They have a plan to get rid of farmers because they're pushing their green communism agenda and it calls for the elimination of independently owned farms so that you and I will be forced to eat bugs, whatever else that they feed us, fake meat, laboratory-grown meat, you know, produced by Bill Gates. And you've got politicians now, members of the parliament in Europe, who are saying, look, this isn't just bad policy. This is an intentional policy to destroy our farmers. See, just like our border in the United States, it's not just a bad policy. It's an intentional policy to destroy the United States. And so now the people in Europe are starting to wake up and realize, hey, these people running Brussels, the European Union, they really do intend to destroy farmers. They want privately owned farms to be eliminated. We've got a couple of videos from the European Parliament. Uh, Doc's going to uh, read in English the uh, English subtitles. So those of you who are listening on radio, you'll be able to participate. So this is Rob Bruce. All over Europe, farmers are protesting. The direct causes vary. In the Netherlands, it's about nitrogen. In Germany, it's higher taxes. But the underlying reason is deeper, and it's the same everywhere. In Brussels and in our capitals, the ruling class has decided that we are living wrongly and that everything must change. The urban academic ruling class is tremendously dis- disconnected from the vast majority of the people. This ruling class controls politics but doesn't appreciate farmers, even though farmers feed all of us every day. Yet the ruling class wants our farmers to disappear, one regulation at a time. Then they conclude trade agreements with the entire world. So from now on, we will be importing apples from Vietnam, all in the name of the climate, of course. You, members of the European Parliament, need to look in the mirror. These massive farmer protests are about you, You are responsible for this. Stop forcing people to live differently. And stop making it impossible for farmers to do their jobs. We absolutely need our farmers. Food security is also a matter of national security. No farmers, no food, no future. The message is... talking sense. Yes. So what we see here is uh, the groundswell for a global coalition against the globalists. There's a populist, a global populist movement forming to fight the globalists. We, we've got another one. Um, do we have a second one? No, we've got some from Ursula uh, von der okay. Leyen. All right, so, um, yeah, let's take a look at first, uh, let's take a look at number 11. This is London Times. Army of angry farmers forces EU to abandon emission goals. So they're winning. For now, right. the, the EU is backing down on the draconian rules that they were trying to impose. But I think this go for the farmers is going to go a lot further than just this. Uh, farmers have forced Brussels to abandon its most demanding emission targets, with the European Union retreating in the face of a revolt over climate goals and red tape. So in the past few weeks, demonstrations have taken place all across Europe, as we've been covering. It's now emerged that the European Commission is going to scrap 
Now, listen to this. A 30% reduction target in methane, nitrogen, and other gases linked to farming from a new roadmap uh, seen by the London Times on how to hit overall emissions goals. Ursula van der Leyen, the European Commission president, who is widely expected to launch a campaign to stay in her job following parliamentary elections in June, announced the decision in Strasbourg. During a sitting of the European Parliament, she acknowledged that farmers had not been adequately consulted over the proposals. She said farmers need a worthwhile business case for nature-enhancing measures. Perhaps we have not made that case convincingly. Okay, so now we're going to play you two video clips of uh, Ursula von der Leyen's uh, speech to the European Parliament. Listen closely, uh, especially in the second video. She tells you what they're going to offer the farmers. Right. Right. So here's the first one. Just watch. While the European Council was in session, farmers from across Europe were taken to the streets. Many of them feel pushed into a corner. Farmers are the first in line feeling the effects of climate change. Droughts and floods have destroyed the harvest and threatened their livestock. Farmers are feeling the impact of the Russian war. Inflation, the rising costs of energy, the rising costs of fertilizers. Nevertheless, they work hard every day to produce the quality food we eat. And for this, I think we owe them appreciations and thanks and respect. And it is true, issues have escalated in recent years. Our farmers deserve to be listened to. I know that they are worried about the future of agriculture and about their their future as farmers. But they also know that agriculture needs to move to a more sustainable model of production so that their farms remain profitable in the years to come. And we want to make sure that in this process, the farmers remain in the driving seat. And this is why we launched the strategic dialogue on the future of agriculture in the European Union. We have invited a broad scope of representatives of the farming sectors, the young farmers, the rural communities, the seed and fertilizer industry, the food sector, the processing sector, but also the financial sector, the cooperative banking sector, the consumers and environmental groups, and of course, science. We need to analyze the situation together to share ideas, and most importantly, to develop scenarios for the future. We need to move beyond a polarized debate and to create trust. Trust is the crucial basis for viable solutions. But they don't trust you. Of course they don't. They, That's they why just, they're protesting. And, and these politicians are, are puzzled. We can't believe that the people are rising up against us. I'll tell you what she needs to be concerned about. Some tractors coming into the parliament building. Like they just knock down the doors and come in. Come I in wouldn't with, rule it out, Doc. Come in with manure sprayers and yes. everything. You know, let little uh, Ursula be sprayed down with some wet manure. Let all those uh, politicians sitting there that voted on these measures to, that we're going to destroy the farmers. Let them be soaked with manure. Oh, let's show our appreciation for the farmers. 
What? And that one guy oh. just sitting there like this. Try to act enthusiastic. Clap for the farmers. Okay, now in this next video, she tells us what Brussels is going to do to bribe the farmers. And that's what this is. It's a bribe. Let's watch. Effective nature protection must offer generous incentives for intervening. Farmers need a worthwhile business case for nature-enhancing measures. Perhaps we have not made that case convincingly. A real incentive that goes beyond mere loss of yields is required. Public subsidies can provide those incentives and, for example, premium labeling in cooperation with retailers and processors. In other words, nature conservation can only be successful through a bottom-up and incentive-based approach. Because only if our farmers can live off their land will they invest in the future, and only if we achieve our climate and environmental goals together will farmers be able to continue to make a living. Our farmers are well aware of this, and we should place more trust in them. Translated, we're going to bribe the farmers to go out of business. That's it. We're going to offer a lot of money. A lot of money. We now know this is going to cost us. To shut down the farms, it's going to cost us a lot of money. We've got to buy off the farmers. Here, sign here. You get the money. We get the farm, you get the money. And you can transition to a new industry. Yes, a green-friendly industry to fight climate change. Look, it's time for people to say the climate change agenda is a hoax. This whole thing is a hoax. This is about global communism. Doc, the old red communists never came up with anything this Oh, I bet they wish they had. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were going to do it with guns and tanks. The green communists, they're not going to take over the world with tanks. They're not going to go into the Czech Republic with, with tanks. No. This is green communism, and they're going to do it through regulations, through propaganda, through indoctrination of children, until the whole world wants to be a green communist, to save the environment, to stop climate change, to prevent the ocean from boiling. The boiling oceans. Yes. Well, they're always talking about boiling oceans. So it's a hoax. It's time to say it's a hoax. See, they're going to call, I'll be called a climate denier. Is that the worst you're going to call me? A climate denier? I'm an election denier, I'm a climate denier, I'm a Zionism denier. What else am I? All right. Propaganda. Who cares what you call us? Who cares? We don't care anymore. Your names don't bother us anymore because we have names for you freaks. And the farmers are standing up and they're, they're speaking out. I've got another video I've got time for. This is a German member of parliament, Christine, Christine Anderson. Anderson. I love She's her. She's always good. Whatever she says, let's watch. I hope you're here today to look in the mirror and ask yourselves, are you really proud of what you've achieved? 
Proud of your many proposals and initiatives in this legislature. The guiding theme that Ursula van der Leyen sent out at the beginning, Green Deal above all else. Yes, it has left deep marks. Tears of joy were shed here in this house when you declared a climate emergency and thus created a further basis for making citizens pay, pay, and pay again. Well, you can see the result in Germany. Our economy is in tatters. A wave of bankruptcies is sweeping the country. At the same time, hundreds of thousands of farmers, haulers, entrepreneurs, and citizens are being fleeced like Christmas geese. The citizens are fed up and are finally taking to the streets. And rightly so, because things can't go on like this. So the Europeans are standing up. The Americans aren't. The Americans are drugged. I mean, they've got so many pharmaceutical meds in their bodies and their brains. Medicated, fluoridated, and fumigated. Yep. The Americans aren't going to do anything. You got this uh, border convoy, not going to amount to anything. Nothing. How many FBI agents do you think are in that convoy? As far as I know, they're all FBI agents. They could all be FBI I mean, how many were at January 6th? We know they were there. Seriously, this this convoy, how many of those truck drivers do you think are FBI agents? That convoy is not going to do anything. I told you what you have to do. Take the trucks to Washington, D.C., fill up the Washington Beltway, park, turn off the motors, take the keys out of the ignition, and sit there. And bring the farmers with you with the manure spreaders. Yes, yes. Gather up all the liquid manure spreaders that you can find, okay? Start hauling manure to Washington and dump it on the Capitol grounds. Dump it at the White House. Dump it in front of the news media, the Washington Post. Do something like the French and the Dutch and the Spanish farmers and the German farmers. Uh, no violence, but frustration. They, they are expressing their frustration. These politicians and ruling class in America, they don't fear the American people at all. They've got you sedated. They've got you controlled. You conservatives are watching Fox News. You're watching Fox News. You think it's the opposing view. Yeah, you're watching Newsmax and Fox News. And boy, you're going to tell them when you watch Fox News and listen to Sean Hannity, you're really going to tell them off now. Just look at those little lapel pins Sean Hannity wears. CIA. He's double pinned. Double pinned. That's right. Because he's earned his his uh, retirement benefits. Well, I've got more stuff, but I don't think we have any time left. Do we, we have got time about five minutes? Be- okay, uh, we got hour. some time in the uh, first part of the uh, second hour, so don't go away. We appreciate you being part of True News. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Hey, welcome back, True News. We thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, I don't say it a lot, but I do need to remind people from time to time. 
True news is financed by free will gifts. They're not donations. I'm glad you're pointing that out. They're not donations. They're offerings to God. This is a ministry. We're not the United Way. Right. We're, We're not, not the Boy Scouts. Okay? That's a donation. You give donations to nonprofit organizations. This is the church of God. You're giving an offering to Almighty God. Amen. So we appreciate those of you who give offerings to God. If you just want to give a donation, keep it. Give it to the local charity in your organization, in your community. Okay? We don't need donations. We need offerings. God accepts offerings given in faith in the name of his son. He's not impressed with donations. Doc, he doesn't care about donations. He only recognizes offerings. Yeah. God doesn't need a handout. That's right. So if you're not receiving the blessings of heaven on what you have given, it's because you're making donations, not offerings. Yeah. Now, I, we've probably offended some people by saying that today. Well, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to help you. It's a spiritual principle you need to see. You're bringing an offering to God. You're worshiping him with your gift. This work called True News is a ministry of the church of God. We are part of the body of Christ. We're doing this not for politics, not for business, but for the body of Christ, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you bring an offering. We appreciate the people who support us with the right heart, the right mind, the right attitude. It's your standing with us for the cause of Jesus Christ. The address is there on the screen. It is new. the new mailing address, Post Office Box 399-399, Vero Beach, Florida, 32961. All you people out there on WWCR Shortwave Radio, we sure do need to hear from you. We took on a big expense for you, for you, and we need you to do something and bring some offerings here to this ministry. P.O. Box 399, Vero Beach, Florida, 32961 is a zip code. If you want to use your bank card and make a call and not do it online, it's 800-576-2116. 800-576-2116. And as always, the easiest, fastest way to give is online at truenews.com or the True News app. And if you feel led by the Lord to do something spectacular and you need our our uh, bank wire codes, then contact that number, 800-576-2116. If you feel led to send 10000 20000 50000 100000 someday we're going to receive a million, a single gift, someday. Someday, I have faith, there'll be a million-dollar gift. That will happen someday. And uh, the Lord has people in mind. He's the only donor that we need, the only financial backer that we need. Because he, he does his giving through sons and daughters who are glad to be his hands and feet on right. earth, to be his pipeline. Right, who are giving by faith. Yes, giving by faith and giving in love. So we appreciate your support. Um, take this opportunity that we have 
this this law before the great storm. The great storm is World War III. The, the storm is underway right now. The war is underway. And we just we gave you information today that just it ought to be chilling to everybody of what we've heard. Did the nuclear suitcase the 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 uh, the football coach i mean the football the nuclear football did it disappear for a time being the russians are asking that question yes the russians want to know Th- these are things that are, are troubling we've got uh victoria newland bragging that there are going to be surprises for the russians very soon this year you've got a, a ukrainian admiral saying the crimean bridge is coming down this year Something big is going to happen before 2024 is over. It's going to change the world. Are you ready? Have you prepared your soul? Have you prepared your home? Are you ready for the unthinkable to happen? The most important thing to do is get your soul ready. You need to be wearing a spiritual asbestos suit. Get in it with the Word of God. Here comes Morning Manum. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. can begin so father father we come to you in the name of jesus and your children are hungry and we ask you to feed us with heavenly bread with morning manna nourish our souls father that we would be strong for you in this evil hour on earth that we would represent you uh, be loyal to you be the salt and light that you have called us to be in the name of jesus Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Morning Manna. And we are continuing our study in Matthew chapter 4. So if you would turn there, we'd like to welcome uh, uh, folks from 17 countries so far today. And uh, it's always a privilege to have you here with us. And we, we love having you here, and we love sharing the Word of God with you. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're reading just verses 2 and 3 today, focusing on those. And I'm reading from the King James. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. God bless the reading of his word today. Amen. All right, we'll start with verse 2. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry afterward. Jesus fasted. This, this is important, 40 days, 40 nights. Why was Matthew inspired by the Holy Spirit to write 40 days and 40 nights? Why not just say he fasted 40 days? I think the reason is this. The Jewish custom in those days during fasting was not to eat during the morning and afternoon. Right. But to eat a meal in the evening. So the Holy Spirit desired us to know 
that the days were 40 complete 24-hour intervals of time. It wasn't a partial fast. No food in the daytime, but one meal at night. It was a complete fast. No food day and night for 40 full days. When did Jesus become hungry? Was it on day five or day 10, day 20? Was he hungry during the entire 40 days? Let's read verse two again. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry afterward. Right. So, Doc, apparently Jesus did not suffer hunger during the 40 days and 40 nights. And that's supernatural right there. <laughs> yes. So it, it highlights the, the spiritual intensity of his experience for over a month, 40 days. So we, we can assume that he was so deeply absorbed in prayer, meditation, and communion with his Heavenly Father that he did not think about food. His spirit overruled his body. And where did he fast? I mean, we know he's in the wilderness. I mean, was he just wandering around outside? Maybe, but, you know, early church history says he was in a cave. A cave in, in what they now call the Mount of Temptation. I talked about it yesterday. So the way I read verse 2, it appears that his hunger appeared on the 41st day. Jesus fasted 40 full days, 40 complete days and nights. He didn't fast on the 40th day when the sun went down. He didn't say, okay, I've, I've fasted 40 days. I'm going to eat tonight. No, 40 days and 40 nights. When he had fasted 40 full days and 40 full nights, he was hungry afterward. When is afterward? The 41st day. Right. At the end of the 40th night, the sun came up on the 41st day since he had eaten food. Then, suddenly... Hunger gripped his body. He wasn't hungry during the 40 days and the 40 nights. It's on the 41st day that suddenly his body is wanting food. The time of prayer and communion with God had ended, and now he was fully aware of his physical body's needs. Now, despite the, the spiritual benefits of the fast. It left Jesus's body physically weak and vulnerable. Right. He wasn't aware of it until the 41st day. The prolonged period of fasting brought him to a state of extreme physical exhaustion. 
His body wanted food. And his body wanted food now. His body absolutely needed food. He was hungry afterward. He was hungry after going without food during the previous 40 days. Therefore, this first temptation from Satan must have come to Jesus on the day after the 40 days of night eating. And what was the temptation? Bread. Yes. His body was screaming for food. Jesus was ready to eat the bark off trees. He was hungry. Satan deliberately chose this moment of extreme physical weakness to make his decisive assault on Jesus. Satan had watched the entire 40 days and 40 nights. That old serpent was out there in the wilderness watching. He knew Jesus was fasting. He knew Jesus was in prayer and meditation. He could see him. He could hear him. He could hear Jesus praising his father. But he also knew when the 40 days ended. And so Satan bided his time and said, when that fast ends, when he comes out of this glory cloud that he's in, his old body is going to be hungry. That's when I'm going to make my move. So physically, Jesus had to eat. The time of supernatural nourishment ended on the 40th day. And Satan conveniently appeared on the scene with an illegal plan to solve Jesus' immediate physical need, which was food. Now, it's a word of caution to all of us. Strong temptations arise when we are alone and under great stress. You are extremely vulnerable at such times to sudden temptations that appear. Yes. Be aware when you are in a prolonged state of loneliness and under stress. Satan is watching. And he knows that there is a time when you will be very open to a suggestion from him. Uh, one thing I would like to say is, personally, I do not believe 40-day fasts are normal for humans. And I would never recommend it. I did go online and I saw there are ministries that are encouraging people to fast 40 days. I personally don't recommend it. I believe Jesus's fast was unique and not intended as a model for Christians to imitate. He did not set an example for us to follow. He was supernaturally sustained. This fast had a specific purpose. It was connected to the publication of the gospel, bearing witness to the truth. 
So I would not I would not recommend that you go on a 40 day fast, complete fast, no food for 40 days. I've only known one person who did a 40 day fast and it was not a complete fast. He drank juices during this 40 days. So that was not a complete fast. I, I did that. Drinking juices? Yep. Juice and okay. clear uh, clear broth and stuff okay. like that. But, yes, but that's not a that's not a full fast. Right. So your body was getting limited nourishment enough to sustain you. But 40 days without any food, without a, any juice, any broth, no, I, I would not recommend it. Um, what was the purpose of the temptation? To cause Jesus to doubt his sonship. To cause him to question his messianic destiny. To cause him to rely on his supernatural power to perform miracles for his personal benefit. To do things outside the word of God. Um, St. Mark's account of the temptation of Christ mentions that Jesus was surrounded by wild beasts. What types of animals lived in the Palestinian desert in biblical times? Well, we know that King David killed a bear and a lion with his bare hands. Right. We're told by um, we're told by archaeologists and historians that other animals included the uh, Judean desert leopard wild boars, the Syrian brown bear, antelope, wild oxen, ostriches, gazelles, jackals, wolves. All those animals were known to be in the wilderness at that time. So to remain true to his role as a God-man, what's a God-man? All God and all man. Not half God and half man. All God and all man. Remember, he was the last Adam. He came to show us what Adam was supposed to do. He finished what Adam failed to complete. So as the last Adam, Jesus could not use his divine power to control the animals that came near him. However, he was spiritually permitted to exercise the same dominion over the animals as God gave the first Adam. He couldn't go beyond that because he was, he was there to fulfill the role of Adam, a perfect Adam. It's like Jesus said, hey, Adam, watch. I'm going to show you how this is to be done. So assuming that Jesus dwelt in a cave for 40 days and 40 nights. What emotions did he experience when wild beasts, such as a Judean desert leopard, approached him? Did he experience fear? Did he remain in perfect peace? Did the angels protect Jesus from the dangerous animals? It's, I've never really thought about it, Doc. You know, he's 
He's in a cave. He looks up and peering into the cave is a, a leopard. What, what emotions came upon Jesus? I mean, did he say, here, kitty, kitty. I mean, what do you, what do, you do? <laughs> did he exercise dominion the way Adam exercised dominion? Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, he didn't jump up and run to the back of the cave and tremble. And yet he could not, as he was a God-man, he couldn't, is a God-man today. He, he could not use his God-like powers and make that <laughs> leopard disappear. He had... He had to operate within the laws that God established for Adam. I haven't completely thought this through, so I'm kind of doing this in real time. It's just thoughts I've had last night and this morning. Now, here's something that's fascinating. There are biblical parallels between Jesus's 40-day fast and similar fast observed by Moses and Elijah. Yes. They were also supernaturally sustained during their extended fast. According to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 9 through 18, Moses fasted two 40-day fasts back-to-back on Mount Sinai. If I'm reading it right, he fasted 80 days. And his fast was without food and water. Let's take a look at it. Deuteronomy 9, verses 9 through 18. This is Moses. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the word, which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights. Once again, 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, <clears throat> arise Get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God. This is Moses talking to the Hebrews. And you had made a molten calf, Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord commanded you. 
Verse 17, and I took the two tables and cast them out of my hands and break them before your eyes. Now, verse 18, and I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins, which he sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Hmm. So, Doc, did he fast 80 days? It looks like it to me. Is that a new one? That's a new one for me. I had never seen that before. It's amazing when you start searching things. You know, I just started searching 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights. Okay. And this is what I came across. And, I, you know, I'm doing a double take. Wait a minute. He fasted twice, 40 days and 40 nights. Yes. Once when he was up on the mountain receiving the law and then the other the second time in uh uh in basically uh wow. lamenting in sackcloth you know he's he's right. mourning for their sin the first time he fasted 40 days because he's in the presence of god the second time he's fasting so that god doesn't kill him yes at, at verse 18 okay. it says i fell down before the lord as at the first so this is a second time. Yes, I, I, I yes. see it, Rick. Okay, here's the next one. Elijah fasted 40 days and nights on Mount Sinai. 1 Kings 19, verse 5 through 8. It's talking about Elijah. And remember, Jesus said John the Baptist was Elijah. Verse 5, 1 Kings 19. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on the coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. God's angel came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Verse 8, he arose and ate and drank. And went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horab, God's mountain. One meal kept him going 40 days and 40 nights. That's superfood. <laughs> All right. Now, this, this is really interesting. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. Elijah the prophet fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. Right. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness on the Mount of Temptation. While all three fasted from physical food, all three feasted on spiritual food in the presence of Almighty God. Moses and Elijah learned what Jesus already knew. It's in the next verse in this Bible study, Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. Now, here's my question. Did those three men ever get together again in the same time? Sure did. When, Doc? <laughs> On the Mount of Transfiguration. Amen. Another Mount. Amen. 
you get a cookie today, man. You got the you had the answer. All right. If only Matthew, I could eat cookies, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew chapter 17, verses one through five. <clears throat> After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them up into a high mountain by themselves. He was, this is Jesus. He, Jesus, was changed before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as the light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, let's make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed shadowed them. Behold, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Have we heard that before? Yes, the same words, just previous to the temptation. Previous to the 40 days and 40 nights, a voice in the sky saying, this is my beloved son. So notice what happened when Peter suggested making three tents for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. While Peter was still foolishly running his mouth, <laughs> there's no other way to say it. Peter's lips were flapping. He was just talking. I like Peter. I, I would have gotten along well with Peter. All right. Uh, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. The voice told Peter and the other disciples, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It was a polite way of God saying, Peter, just be quiet and listen to my son. Notice that Moses and Elijah shone in the, the glorious light of Jesus. Their light did not brighten Jesus. His light brightened them. Moses and Elijah represented the law. Jesus represented grace. Thus, the law was illuminated by the light of the gospel. Amen. God's voice rebuked Peter, saying, Listen to him. Kind of like, Peter, shut your mouth. Just listen to him. In other words, God was saying, Peter, you no longer need to listen to Moses and Elijah and the prophets. The fulfillment of their prophecies has arrived. He's standing in front of you. Yes. The one who will fulfill all the law is here. Listen here. to him only. Yes. I'm telling you, there's, Doc calls them Old Testament Christians. There are a lot of Christians in America who spend most of their time in the Old Testament. I'm not saying don't read and study the Old Testament. Obviously, I do. But I study it to better understand Jesus and the New Covenant in the church. Right. But you've got a lot of people who are trying to live in the Old Covenant and call themselves Christians. Right. What God was saying to Peter was, you don't... You don't have to 
You're not following Moses anymore. I've sent the one Moses saw. I sent the one Elijah said was coming. Just listen to him. And so, you know, after you become a Christian, you shouldn't be studying the Old Testament until you have read every word of the New Covenant. I would recommend that, yes. Don't do what I did. When I was a new believer, believer, uh, you know, first, my pastor gave me great advice, read the word and do it. I mean, that and that stuck with me since I was 15 years old. He didn't tell me where to start. (laughs) So I started in Genesis. Because if you if you start doing stuff as in the Old Testament, you're completely out of the will of God. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, do you hear my that's my buddy. You hear her out there? Did you hear her? That's that's Gabby the Goose. She's 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 right over here sure. telling me. I wasn't sure who that was. <laughs> that's Gabby the Goose. She's telling me she's here for breakfast, and I need to wrap up this Bible study and feed her. So she just she's standing right over here. Yeah, she's uh she's an Egyptian goose. Um, I never heard of Egyptian goose until she arrived here. And I took a picture of her and showed it to Jody at an office. And Jody said, oh, she's an Egyptian goose. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, you know, it's a breed that's been released into Florida. It's not native, obviously not native to Florida. Um, but anyhow, she's, <laughs> she, she's talkative. Um, okay, so now I want to go, I'm going to really go out here on a limb. I want to take a prophetic look at the wilderness. All right, we've been studying, you know, Jesus is in the wilderness. All this is the wilderness. Let's jump briefly over to Revelation chapter 12. Hmm. Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 1. A great sign was seen in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child. She cried out in pain, laboring to give birth. Another sign was seen in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having having seven heads and ten horns and on his horn heads seven crowns. His tail drew one third of the stars of the sky and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he, he, the dragon, might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God, to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that there they may nourish her 1,260 days. There was war in the sky. Michael and his angels made war on the dragon. So it goes on with the rest of this description in Revelation chapter 12. But the first six verses is what I wanted you to see. Okay. So I want to break this down real briefly. 
Recall Genesis chapter 3. God told the serpent in the Garden of Eden, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. The seed of the woman is Jesus. In Revelation 12, Satan is represented by a dragon. A dragon is a serpent that's grown up. Yes. It's become a monster. It's not a little serpent anymore. It's a monster. It's a reptile on steroids. Many Bible scholars interpret the woman adorned with the sun, the moon, and the stars as symbolizing God's people, Israel, in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant Israel gave birth to the New Covenant Messiah. The New Israel, the church, suffers persecution by the dragon. The dragon is in opposition to God's people. Verse 2 says, because of Eve's sin, the woman gives birth in distress and pain. The dragon pursues the woman who was about to give birth, but her son is saved and caught up to heaven. After this, the dragon tries to attack the son by attacking members of his church. The woman, the woman who represents the church, flies into the wilderness to the place that was prepared for her so that she might be nourished. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. For 14, two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman that she might fly into the wilderness to her place that she might be nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. It is in the wilderness that God protects the persecuted church. The Old Testament wilderness represents the place of refuge for God's people under affliction. And although the church of Christ in the new covenant is under God's special protection. The, the entire church as the body of Christ. Individually. Individual Christians must expect suffering and persecution. Where do we seek refuge? Our place is in the wilderness. A place has been prepared for the church. In the wilderness to be sustained. How are we sustained in the wilderness? By eating manna from heaven. That's right. The word of God. I want to say something right now. I, I want to commend the people who, who are with me every day, with docking me every day, five days a week for morning manna. I want to commend you. I hope you're grasping the, what I just taught you about the church in the last days. The church will be under affliction, persecuted. The church will be driven into the wilderness, not a physical wilderness. We're all we're not going to go move and live in the desert. We will be in a spiritual wilderness. But God has prepared a place for us there and he will sustain us with the word of God. 
every day, five days a week. I do an hour of news and an hour of the word. I can see the digital analytics that a certain group of people check out at the end of true news. They don't stay for morning manna. Thank God there are thousands of people who stay for morning manna. Well, there are thousands who just check out and leave. They just came for the news. They're not interested in the manna. I'm telling you, my friends, persecution is coming. And the church will be driven into the wilderness. And those people who call themselves Christians today and have no taste buds at all for, for the word of God, have no interest in the word. They're going to be wandering around in a wilderness and they can't find the place of refuge. They can't find the place that was prepared for them where they can receive nourishment. They will just be wandering around in the dry desert. This is why it is so essential that right now in this time that we as the body of Christ put aside the things of the world and say we have to focus on the word. It's the only thing that's going to sustain us. Knowing more news is not going to get you through the days that are ahead. That's right. Knowing this word will sustain you. Verse three. Uh, hey, Rick. When the temple, yes, go ahead, Doc. Well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, dispensationalists have a different view of Revelation 12. I believe of you're course. correct. I, I believe it refers back to the garden and back, back to the beginning, back to Eve and, and the seed. Dispensationalists, though, they believe that the, uh, that the woman and the child represent uh, both old Israel and new Israel. They believe that what's represented in uh, Revelation 12 is the uh, 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 you know Joseph in Joseph's dream where it says the sun and the moon bow down, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, so they believe that that's a fulfillment of of the the child being born is the, the restoration of the nation of Israel. Of Israel, yeah. So 1948 all over again, right? And they'll they'll say the that woman is not the church. The, they'll 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 go to their grave saying that woman is not the church. Uh, but it's so obvious, especially when you tie it back to, you know, the beginning of Genesis there and the word that God gave to uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, so to me, it's obvious. Uh, and for the dispensationalists to interpret this as Israel ancient and Israel restored, uh, you really have to do somersaults to, to make that work. Yes. It's Israel if you understand Israel as the people of God. Yes. The people of God in the Old Covenant, the people of God in the New Covenant. It's Israel. But it's not a political state. Right. It's not real estate. That's right. And then when you see that the, the woman was driven into the wilderness, she's the church. Yes. She's under affliction. A place has been prepared by God for the woman, the church. He will sustain the church during the tribulation. 
It's during the tribulation that you're supernaturally sustained. And but it's through the word. Yes. Now we remember how how Lindsay would interpret this, Rick, verse six, that Israel would hide out in the desert, uh, and uh, you know that they would be protected, and that was where yes. the idea that uh, maybe Petra was one of those places where yes. Israel would be uh, kept safe and everything. Uh, yes. That was in Hal Lindsey's book. Remember, everybody talked yes. about that for 20 years. Yeah. Oh, listen, I, I still have people who email me and say, hey, Rick, don't, don't you realize we're all going to move? There's a reason God keeps taking you to Jordan, because the Christians are going to flee to Petra and live with the Jews in Petra. Where do you get that? Right here. You got it from Hal Lindsay. Yes. You got it from Hal Lindsay. All right, so verse 3, when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. When does Satan come to Jesus? After 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the 41st day. It was the day Jesus knew he would and could break the fast. When Jesus woke up on the 41st day, he said to himself, that fast is over. I'm done. I can eat today. His mission that day was to find food. That's what was on his mind. I got to find me something to eat. He knew the fast was over. He knew it was time to eat. And Jesus was looking for food in the wilderness. And along came the devil. Satan shows up when you and I are at our weakest state. Satan did not tempt Jesus with food at any time during the 40 days and 40 nights. He waited for the right time to strike. Yes. Now, I'm stretching this, all right, so I, I hope the, the real hardcore King James defenders is, and, you know, say, Rick, you can't go there. I, I'm, just, I'm just kind of imagining, okay? Jesus and Satan knew each other. Satan didn't know that the man named Jesus was the son of God he knew in heaven. He didn't know that until the baptism. And he went, oh, it's him. It's him. It's God's son. Once Satan learned that God proclaimed the man on earth, Jesus, as his beloved son in heaven, Satan recognized him as God's son in heaven. That was in the age when Satan's name was Lucifer. And he too lived in heaven prior to his expulsion to earth for committing the first sin, the sin of pride. So they knew each other. In fact, I think the pride issue with Satan was he was jealous of God's love for his son. He wanted that love. I think he was jealous. 
So, again, this is all my speculation. So please be patient with me. Don't don't send me. Don't call out the hell wagon yet. <laughs> the hell wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know people, man. They they got they they got a direct line to the hell wagon. They can get that thing out right away. You're going to hell for saying that, all right? I don't think Satan came to Jesus snarling and pointing his finger and daring Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you do something miraculous. You're the Son of God. I, I want to see you do something miraculous. I don't think he came at him like that. I don't think he came out foaming at the mouth and snarling. No, oh, Jesus, make those. I don't, that's not how it happened. If, if I if I made a movie about it, that's not how I would portray it. This is how I would portray that scene in a movie. I think Satan took the opposite role. He came as an old friend, not as an adversary. I, I could imagine him saying, "Jesus." My dear friend, it's so good to see you again. It's been a long time. I've been living on earth ever since your father asked me to leave heaven. Asked you. <laughs> yes. Oh, Jesus, that's all in the past. Today's a new day. Let, let's just put all that behind us. There's a misunderstanding. Oh, by the way, Jesus, congratulations on your ordination as the messiah i wish you well my my i saw you in the cave for 40 days and nights praying and worshiping your father in heaven you were so deeply involved in prayer and praise you forgot to eat come on jesus let's go find some food and get it in your stomach you must be starving for some hot bread covered with fresh honey Oh, my, that would taste so good. I don't have any bread, Jesus. If I did, I would share it with you. There's no bread out here in the wilderness. The only what? thing in this barren wilderness are stones and rocks. My, Jesus, look at those smooth stones. Don't they look like little loaves of bread? <laughs> Just look at them, Jesus. Imagine those stones turning into bread. That's it, Jesus. I've got an idea. You're the beloved son of God. You have supernatural powers like your old dad. Look, there are rocks in front of you. Speak to them and command them to become bread. That's how I think it went down. I think it was some kind of scene like that. I mean, it wasn't if you're, just... If you're, if you're the son of God... Turn the yeah, stones into bread. After all, yeah. I heard the father say, "You're you're his beloved son." That's right. So go ahead and do it. You're hungry. You you did you impressed him with the forty day fast. Now now nobody's here to see you do this. I'm not going to tell anybody you turned the stones into bread. Just do it. You're hungry. Why am I saying this? Jesus had the power to do it. Why was it wrong to do it? Here's why. There is a temptation for individuals to use their God-given gifts and talents selfishly for personal gain. Instead of asking how their gifts can benefit others, some people 
are tempted to consider how they can profit from their heavenly gifts. We see it with so-called prophets that prophesy for money. You send a thousand dollars, I'll have a word for you. It releases the power in me when I get a thousand dollars. The power to spend. Yes. If Jesus used his power once for himself, he would have been tempted to use his power again and again, not only for himself, but for others who had similar needs. Every time he saw hungry people, he would have said, I could just turn these rocks into bread. I'll feed them. He would have been tempted to think that making stones turn into bread would help him win followers to the gospel. Jesus faced a challenge of determining the method to win people to God's kingdom. One potential approach was to provide material benefits such as bread. But providing bread to bribe people to follow him would have been sin. It would have meant people following Jesus for material gain rather than to embrace the gospel. And it would not address the root causes of human hunger, both physical and spiritual. When, when he fed 5,000, he could have made 5,000 stones turn into bread. Yes. Instead, he showed his disciples how to use their faith in God to allow God to multiply their meager resources. But he could have just said 5,000 stones turn into bread. See, Satan had a plan. Right. A plan to get Jesus to misuse his divine power. And Rick, to even do though, something outside the word. Yes. Rick, even though he fed the, the 5,000 and the 3,000, they were hungry again. So you're going to do that yes. every single day? Are you going to say Satan would have said, yes, do it again and again and again. Yes. But Jesus showed them faith. They could have done it themselves if they had faith. All right. I think I'm going to stop there, Doc. Uh, I'm okay. looking at the clock and it's get, it's getting late and I'm getting cold. And Gabby wants her, her corn. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rick, another great lesson today. Appreciate it. And uh, <clears throat> appreciate everyone uh, uh, tuning in today. We had near just shy of 400 people today. So uh, appreciate everyone uh, being with us. 20 countries checking in today. And uh, definitely appreciate everyone, no matter where you are in the world. We love uh, having you here with us every day, 8 a.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. And, uh, of course, various times all over the globe that people are checking in. Uh, like Japan, Australia, uh, the United Arab Emirates today. Uh, so really, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And I'd like to remind you that we, uh, uh, you can listen to the replay of Morning Man anytime here on uh, Faith and Values. So if you're listening to this at another time during the day, you can always go to faithandvalues.com and you can listen to the archives. And so... Um, we uh, really, really do appreciate it. Rick, any final words before we sign off for today? Uh, I was just looking at Leslie that said, I do a good impersonation of the devil. <laughs> so, 
that's one I don't want to do. All right. Uh, I'm glad I made you laugh, though. Enjoy the day. It's a beautiful day. And take time to thank the Lord throughout the day. Just the way you stay in prayer all the time is just always be thinking about Jesus. He's always thinking, let him be on your mind day and night and feast on him. That's what that's what communion really is. We're feasting on Christ. He is the bread of life. When you think about Jesus all day long, you are feasting on the bread of life. Amen. The manna from heaven is feeding you in the wilderness. You might be in a wilderness right now, but you can eat manna, the bread of life. You don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why you're here every day for morning manna, to Amen. get more word of God. All right, got to go. I'll, I'm going to start another lesson. All right. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you on the next edition of Morning Manna. God bless you. You know, this little two-minute segment at the end of the program is actually my favorite. You know why? Why is that? Because I know that the people I'm talking to in the last two minutes of this program are the ones who stayed for morning manna to hear the Word of God. Praise God. That's true. You probably were there with us in the first two minutes, two hours ago, but there's a there's a special group of people who are with us in the last two minutes. Hmm. You didn't check out when the news ended. You stayed for the good news. Some people just want the bad news. And they come to True News to get that bad news, get that fix. You know, they, they need that, that, uh, that jolt right. of news to keep them going. But there's another group of people who stay. They stay for the second hour to get the good news, to be fed the Word of God, to be fed manna. And so if you're listening to me now, it's because you stayed for the second hour and you were fed. And I, it, my dear friends, it is, I, can't, I can't explain in words how much joy I get from preparing for morning manna and teaching morning manna. It is absolutely fulfilling. Yes. I love it. I don't love doing true news anymore. I stopped loving doing true news years ago. I do it because every once in a while, we get some more people to snap out of their coma and realize how late it is in, in the time of the universe. And they come to Christ. That's why I do it. But morning manna is a labor of love. Uh, I enjoy teaching the word, and I hope you enjoy receiving the word. Tell others about Morning Manna. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.